Hi, I'm Meredith. Hi, I'm Joseph, and you are listening to Are You Waiting for Permission? It's a podcast for those who don't want to wait any longer. Whenever we start off our podcast, we kind of start off the exact same way where I say, Hello, Joseph Bennett. I hate that beginning. And he says, <laughs> they say, oh, hi, Meredith. Hi, how are I you today? Good morning or afternoon, Joseph oh. Bennett. That's like a bad pre-K school teacher. You it should totally stop is. that. You and should I've stop been that. editing our 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 um, podcast episodes, and I'm noticing like we have established a pattern. Mm, so today, because we today have Betty, we're going to break it today because we have Betty Hart with us. And of all the people in the world that I know who knows how to give herself permission to do whatever the mm. heck she wants, it would be Betty. So... We're going to give ourselves permission today to break the rules. What? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, Joseph. Get ready. Start with a question then. Out of oh, the gate. I love heart. it. If there could be anything in the world named after you, what would you like that to be? Ooh. Wow. Um, I would create something that doesn't exist. Uh, so I would create a center for compassion and uh, necessary conversations. That's what I would mm. want named after me. Yes. Center for compassion and necessary conversations. Yes. Mm. Let's do it. Let's do it. Meredith, yes. same question. Oh, gosh. You, okay. I think mine's going to be a little bit more selfish. And I think it's a cocktail. I think I want a cocktail named after me so that when people are in the comfort of their own homes, and it could be a mocktail too, that they bring that glass up or they go to a bar, they go out to eat, and then they order a Meredith and then they feel comfort. Mm. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Or laughter or whatever they want to feel in the moment. (laughs) Joseph, how about you? Thank you. I want to have a self-help healing technique, the Bennett technique, so that if anybody is feeling trauma, childhood trauma, if they are suffering from an addiction, they could do this technique and they would be healed or helped. Wow. Some kind of technique. Man. I, I think you re- won. You I think won. you did. Oh, no, no, no. You, you won. No, I won. Let's just be clear. <laughs> the Grand Giblet won. <laughs> the Grand Giblet Gim- Perfect. Well, I want to introduce Betty Hart to our listeners right now. Betty is a phenomenal human who I have had the honor to know for several years now. And we have, we met living in Colorado. She still lives in Colorado. I have since moved to New York City. But very active in the theater community. She's an activist. She's a brilliant director and performer and uh, recently did a TED talk that only had 1.3 million views. Uh, so she's she's doing some stuff in the world. And I have always just enjoyed Betty. I enjoy the conversations that we have. Uh, and what I also love about Betty is that she walks her talk. So when she talks about living a compassionate life and being with people and having the hard conversations and sticking with the hard conversations, she definitely walks that talk. And so I'm so appreciative of her taking her time to be here today to have a conversation with us. So thank you. Thank you for asking, Meredith. I'm delighted to be here and delighted to meet you, Joseph. Mm, Excellent. So, Joseph, do you have a, do you want to start with the first question? Because I want to be polite to you. And I know you always say that I can go first, but 
Today, so that wasn't the real first question. There's a new, <laughs> another first question. Another new first question. Oh, there's going to okay. be another I new. It. Yes, it's on the tip of my tongue. Betty Hart, compassion is something that there's a whole lot of us that are talking about, right? We may even mention it at cocktail parties, or we may blog about it, or whatever. But what is it like? And more importantly, why are you walking that talk? What is it about compassion that is really resonating with you in this lifetime? I don't think you have long enough for the podcast to answer that question, but um, <laughs> uh, why uh, and why me? Why now? I would say that the more I look at the world that we're in, the greater the need for compassion. I just see it everywhere. And I think, I think, you know, when you're at parties or you're talking to friends, I think it's really easy to say, they, they need to, right? I think that's human nature. And, you know, I'm not faulting that, but I think it's stronger when each of us says, I, I need to. And when I began looking at the world and seeing how, you know, between cancel culture and social media judgments that are being pronounced and, just the lack of empathy and so much of just othering, I then asked myself the question of what about you? And what was really fascinating to me, Joseph, is that as I was preparing to do a TED Talk where I was absolutely going to tell people about themselves, I, as I was researching my life, I went, oh, I did that. So I actually am in a position to recognize how much more compassion is needed because I didn't extend it when I could have. And so it was this beautiful thing of going on a journey to talk to others, only to end up talking to myself to, before I could talk to others. So I think there's something um, magnificent about wanting to cure the ills of the world, only to look in a mirror and discover that you are part of the ills. And so physician heal thyself. So that's kind of where I am. And that discovery was not predicted. <laughs> you know, I was going to do this TED talk and I had no intention of talking about my dad, nor had I ever considered that I was a counselor. None of those thoughts had occurred to me, but going on the journey revealed it. And I think that's cool because what a better position to help, to help others than to be able to say, I've done that. I get it. It's me too. Mm -hmm. And thank you. Thank you for that. My follow-up question is some of our listeners don't know what cancel culture is. Could you educate us? Yeah, so there's two different versions of cancel culture and people get really persnickety about that. Um, I choose to focus on one, but cancel culture in the larger is the idea of holding a person who is in public view, public office, celebrity, someone um, that many people know, millions and millions of people know, um, holding them accountable for an action that we the people disagree with and deciding that that accountability means they are canceled. They their livelihood is taken away, their platforms are taken away, and they are forbidden from really being in the public square. That is the conventional, um, one of the conventional definitions of cancel culture. I prefer to focus on the personal aspect of cancel culture, where an individual says, because my insert your relative here, voted a particular way, believes a particular thing, they are no longer invited to family gatherings. They are now persona non grata because of this 
ideological difference. And that is a different kind of canceling. And so I really, I'm interested in the larger cancel. However, I believe if I cannot choose compassion for someone I'm in relationship with, there's no way I'm going to extend compassion to someone I don't know who's a politician or a celebrity. So mm -hmm. I believe in focusing on the micro to build to the macro rather than macro to micro. And so um, I did a talk really about how we can extend compassion to those we love who love us when we have ideological differences. I really appreciate that, Betty, and I know we've discussed this in the past as well, and I'm curious because I also, I agree with you, and I also am hearing this piece about tending to yourself and being also compassionate to yourself as you go through the process, not being difficult on yourself just because you did make a choice 10 years ago or five years ago or yesterday <laughs> that um, you can you can transform that and you can make a decision to find a way to enter into conversation with another person that you may not agree with. And so I'm curious, what is one action step that you can offer to our listeners about entering in? Because I know there's a lot of people listening right now, I can imagine, I'm not going to say that you are, but that are like, there's no way I'm going to, I'm going to call that relative. There's no way I'm going to sit at the Thanksgiving dinner table with those people. Uh, so I'm curious, what's one action step that you have found helpful uh, in in this journey that we're on right now? Oh, that's such a great question. And I, I don't know if I'll succeed in only giving you one because at least three things just popped into my great. head. Give me all three. Bring it. <laughs> okay, great. So <laughs> the one um, that I start with is this idea of curiosity. Uh, can we actually be curious about other people and why they do the things that they we, that they do? Um, I know in my life, I believe that the things I do make sense, right? I believe that. And yet when someone else does that, my first thought is, I can't believe, right? So if I actually start with a place of curiosity, they must have had a reason behind that. I wonder what that reason is. That begins an opening in my mind as opposed to me being closed and locked down and completely confident in my judgment. So I think that's a great start of just curiosity. Um, a new thing, and you and I haven't even gotten to talk about this yet, I think is recognizing that perfection doesn't exist. Um, because I do believe that a lot of the judgments that we're making about others and that lack of self-compassion for ourselves comes from this crazy idea called perfectionism. Mm -hmm. And because we believe it exists, then it means that I can judge Joseph because he's not being perfect and or meeting the standard that I have created in the beauty that is my mind. In my mind, Joseph is supposed to show up this way, but in reality, Joseph and all of his humanity showed up this way. How dare he? And so if we begin to really dismantle this idea of perfectionism, then Joseph's humanity is allowed to exist. And my humanity is allowed to exist. And I can be hurt by something that Joseph did and still recognize that Joseph has value and is still a human being and everything that we've experienced before now still exists. But without that, again, it becomes really easy for me to pronounce judgment against Joseph, and then he's he's ostracized and he's gone. So those are two things. Um, and then the third thing is really just the recognition that all of us as human beings are more than one action. The sum of us is greater than one part. And I find that when we are in a mindset to cancel, it's because we're focusing on the one thing. 
Right. So for those family members who you love, but they voted a particular way, you're like, well, I can't believe. Nope, they're not coming to Thanksgiving. That's done. You're like, does that vote change all of the love that they have bestowed upon you over the years? The time that you were able to share your hopes, your dreams, your fears with them, and they held space for you. Is all of that really erased because of one vote? I question that. I question it because I do believe that the sum of someone is greater than one individual thing. So I'd say those are three different entry points. If a person is interested, um, that's a big question, right? It's a big if, um, but those are just some thoughts that I have. Mm. I really think, go ahead, Joseph. What comes to mind, Betty, is that that cancel culture or dismissiveness, which is how it resonates with me, it happens less when we have more compassion towards ourselves. Like it's really easy to say that person is a jerk and it's a little less easy when we are feeling more loving, more compassionate, more empathetic towards other people. And I'm wondering if some of those micro movements that you talked about before, if they really start with ourselves. They do. You are 100% correct, Joseph. When I recognize that I have failed, then it makes it really, um, it makes it easier to digest when someone fails me, right? Rather than me saying, I can't believe Meredith did not take my call. I needed her. She knows when I call her, this means something. And then if I take a moment and say, well, Betty, When's the last time, you know, you didn't take her call because you were busy? When's the last time you didn't respond to her beautiful, which is actually really true. She sent me a really beautiful voice memo text just the other day. I haven't responded to that yet, right? Not because I didn't care. I just was busy. And so when we do something, we have justifications for it. And we expect others to understand and extend grace to us. When someone else does the exact same behavior, rarely is our first response one of, oh, of course, right? We just move to those other places, which I'm going to call the crazy places. And so when we end, what to your point, we do those same things to ourselves. So when we start to say, oh, I made a mistake, and instead of going down a spiral of shame and blame and perpetual negativity, if instead we can actually acknowledge it, I did make that mistake. I didn't want to do that. I'm choosing not to do the same thing. I'm going to apologize and show up and own it and move forward. Then we can definitely do that for others, but we don't primarily do that for ourselves. We're pretty hard on ourselves. I used to think that was just an artist thing. The longer I live, the more I discover it's a human thing. Um, And I do believe that part of it is because we do have this crazy idea of perfectionism that we're all trying to live up to and failing every day and then causing ourselves again to spiral and whatever that is. For some people, it's shame. For some people, it's guilt. For some people, it's just pure negativity. Like you name your poison, we've all got one or more. And when we choose to stop that, then we're able to show up and we are able to give ourselves permission to live the lives that we want to instead of the lives that we've chosen to be stuck in. So many nuggets of gold in there, and so many thoughts are circulating through my head per usual. Uh, And the words, I'm just going to use words right now that have popped into my head, which is, uh, the first word is fear. The fear of showing your imperfections, 
Uh, the second thing that is in my mind is the danger of the single story. I go back to that a lot. And I am that person who now, like I used to play this game with myself when I was driving a lot, living in Colorado, and I'd be stuck in traffic and somebody would cut me off or upset me. I would play this game with myself where I'm like, tell a story about that person right now humanize them because what's happened is I've just immediately turned them into an object and they're not an object and they might be late or they might have someone in a hospital or they might or they might they might there's a so the danger of the single story popped into my head um and then this just this piece about curiosity is huge it's huge because I feel that that asking the questions and and asking the why is so much more of a, it's such a beautiful entrance point. And I'm going to give a quick example is that I have relatives who I love, love. They voted a certain way and they're choosing not to be vaccinated. I had to, I had, I could react in one way or I could react in this other way. And I have chose to lead with curiosity and empathy and compassion and have chosen to be in conversation with them about it I have my own personal boundaries around it and they respect that and I respect them but we only got to that place because we opened up dialogue with each other and to me that means the world so I really appreciate everything you just said can I just tell you that the word that you didn't use, which I think I want to add to your list, um, and your story is such a great example of it, is vulnerability. Yes. And I think vulnerability and fear kind of walk, walk alongside each other, right? And they, they, can, they can't live together, but they can counter, counteract. And we generally aren't raised, you know, Brene Brown was not in our homes telling us when we were kids to say, you know, you're upset, you're hurt right now. And why don't you just acknowledge that hurt, right? No, instead, <laughs> we didn't have that. We had other no. voices. And so we have a deep fear of what will happen if we show up fully and we acknowledge a pain point because we are giving people the opportunity to cause harm again, right? That, that exists. And so because it exists, we have locked down in fear and said, well, I'll make sure they can't, um, rather than just saying, you know what? I could get hurt either way, I'm already hurt. So right. I'm just gonna acknowledge where I am. And I find that Meredith, what you did in continuing to have relationship and communication with family members who, with whom you disagree, is the only way that we can actually move forward. There's no way for their minds to ever open up to other possibilities if you're not there. And there's no way for you to get further understanding and clarity behind some of their choices. Um, I find that one of the challenges from you know my TED talk is I talk about this idea, Joseph, of planting seeds. And because I, I, I do read the comments, and so some people are like, ah, it's just manipulation. And I'm like, okay, whoa, peeps. I I am not saying be in relationship with people you love so you can manipulate them. That seems really curious for a, a talk about compassion. Um, but what I do find is that when I am in proximity to be able to plant seeds, you're also in proximity to be able to plant seeds with me, right? So it is a cross contamination, cross pollination, cross fertilization process. I am changed by being in proximity to you 
and you are changed by being in proximity to me. And what I love is that you started the conversation saying, well, they voted a certain way, so I wasn't. And you ended it with, I am so grateful, right? It's such a difference between an ideological thing that, again, that single thing about them, as opposed to the t sum total of who they are. And so that's, that's what vulnerability allows us to do. It allows us to risk hurt to really be who we are and own that. And being hurt is literally a part of life. So I think, you know, when I think about the ideas behind giving yourself permission, um, a lot of us don't give ourselves permission because of fear yeah. and because of this deep desire to never be hurt. So instead we hurt ourselves by locking down instead of allowing ourselves to be open to any of the different possibilities that exist. Mm, so beautiful. And what it also makes me think of, my dear, is the concept of modeling. So I'm wondering, when you were growing up in your family, who was it that encouraged you to keep your heart open? Who was it that taught you? I, I pray that there's at least one person, maybe more, who said it's okay to talk about your feelings, it's okay to feel vulnerable. Cause Honey, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of us that don't have that, right? We have the other modeling, like, fuck you, that guy's a jerk, right? We have that. We don't have the modeling of, sweetheart, keep your heart open and be curious. So where did you learn that? Oh, my gosh. So you're making me cry already, Joseph, because I love this question mm -hmm. so much. Um, the woman and the council of women um, who helped me was my Nana, my mom's maternal mother. And um, my Nana was without question my favorite human being because in a world where adults would sometimes say crazy things like children should be seen and not heard, my Nana was like, hey, come grow, but grab a seat. And I'm talking with my friends who I called the council of elders because I was that kind of precocious child who read all the time. So that's what I called them, but they were my Nana's friends. And these women would sit around talking and they were all, you know, light years older and ahead of me. And they're having these deep conversations amongst themselves. And then they would turn and say, what do you think? And mm. I'm like, I'm allowed to share? And they're all looking at me like, we just asked, right? Like that was it, it was just a question. And so it became established that I had the right to speak with people who were older and wiser and more experienced than me from the beginning. And that that action alone change the course of my history because I walked into every room believing that my voice was going to be received because the council of elders listened to me. So everyone else was going to too. And so my Nana always believed in me. She always spoke into me. It didn't matter whether we were gardening outside or doing laundry or she was cooking or I was playing or cleaning. She was always in my corner. She always spoke into me. She always let me know that I was valued and loved and she and my mom had a very different relationship as I'm sure lots of mothers and grandmothers experienced that mothers and daughters. Um, but she just poured out love into me and she allowed me to see her on good days and bad days. And so without knowing it, she modeled very much of what a woman could be, what a person could be. And I took so many of those lessons and like, she's a superhero in my mind. Like when I tell people the stories of who she was, they're like, there's a book there um, mm -hmm. because she was just extraordinary. She never drove a car. 
She didn't have a high school, uh, she never got a high school degree. Um, and yet she's one of the wisest women that I ever encountered. So I love that question. My Nana, uh, formal name, Mary Lou Freeman, um, was definitely the person who modeled that and helped to instill a great deal of it in me. Mm. Betty, thank you so much for sharing that. It's a really beautiful story and such a wonderful tribute to your Nana. And uh, what I want to invite our listeners to is if you if you haven't had that person in your life, find those people that will lift you up. Find those people that do support your voice, do support your point of view, who you are as a human being. Um, and if those people are not in your life right now, I think it's time to get some new friends. Mm-hmm. 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 Yep. Yeah. And they are out there. The light givers, the light receivers, the open hearted, beautiful people, they are out there. And it just takes a little bit of effort and spaciousness. That's my new word for this year of, of finding those people to lift us up. Definitely. Agreed. And you're one of them, Betty People might be reaching out to you and be like, can you be my friend? Can you be my friend? <laughs> <laughs> I just love your question. And there are, there's like so many people, right, in my circle who are just incredible human beings. And, and I'll tell you this, Joseph, because Meredith may not have told you, but um, during the pandemic, Meredith and I got really close and decided to become accountability partners for each other. And so we are those people for each other as well, people who can hold space as we like rant and vent about the crazy of life and also be able to speak kindly and lovingly into each other um, with power and truth. So you are already attached to somebody who is one of those people as well. Mm, I just, I, I am, I just feel so much gratitude to have the two of you in my zoom screen right now. It's just phenomenal. Um, I also, I'm going to shift gears a little bit, Betty. Is that okay? Is sure. that okay with everybody? Joseph, Joseph. Yes, yes, yes. You are not only this amazing human who talks beautifully about compassion and bringing people together and uh, had this amazing TED Talk, which we'll leave the link so that people can watch it just because you're only at 1.3 million views and, and I, you know, I mean, geez, we have to get more. Um, so I'm curious... Uh, if you could talk to us about what's your recent project, what are you excited about right now? Because you're also a director, you're an actor, you're a creative type. Um, so please share with the audience what you're working on right now and what you're looking forward to. Ooh, um, well, I just finished directing a beautiful play called An Iliad um, for Creed Repertory Theater, which is playing through September 3rd. Um, it's a one person show and it is, Uh, the telling of what happened with the war in Troy. But what I really love is that it's uh, a modern day fable slash metaphor about why we need peace Mm. and why we need peace more than ever while we talk about war. Um, So that was super fulfilling and just a beautiful thing to break the pandemic uh, uh, of only being able to direct virtually to be able to direct live. Mm -hmm. That was really beautiful. And now I'm in pre-productions for a play called Polaroid Stories, and I'm going to be directing that for Metropolitan State University. So I get to work with college students this fall. And it is another play that deals with Greek mythology, but it tells the stories of Greek mythology um, using the framework of youth who are experiencing homelessness and addiction. So it is a very power-packed 
piece filled with different characters. And I'm really excited to get to dive into those worlds and work with students to help bring it to life and hopefully do some um, some education of people on the college campus. We're going to be pairing with some other organizations. We're starting that that process to see what we can do to help shine a light on some of the organizations that are helping right mm. with these real life situations that this play that was written, you know, 15 years ago is still highlighting here in Colorado. And so I'm really excited about that. Fantastic. Well, we'll we'll make sure. I don't know when this episode is going to air, but we're going to make sure that people can find you because Betty always has a project going on and the work that she does is phenomenal. And she's also a very talented performer. So whatever she's got going on, whenever this is uh, broadcast or released, not broadcast, we don't broadcast things. We release them. We launch it. I I got to get my podcast lingo down, Joseph. Well, here's we the great thing: the play. People's throats. Yes, <laughs> the play will the play will happen in November, so people have time to be able to come see it whenever this is released into the the see, world. Yeah. That's why we need Betty. We need her lingo. Release. I know. I I know. I mean, you, I don't be disappointed me in me, Joseph. <laughs> and I don't have my lingo down yet. Well, can we back up for a minute? Yes, so. of course. Betty, when you talked about having an accountability partner in Meredith, I bet that some of our listeners, their ears perked up at that, and they thought, oh, that's that's what I could have in my life to make me or inspire me toward my dreams. And I'm wondering, could you give a little bit of guidance to our listeners about how to find an accountability partner, and how does that relationship work? Ooh, I don't know if I can answer that, but I'll try. Um, We can help each (laughs) other out. Right. I'm like, Meredith, I'm like, wow. Uh, So Meredith approached me. Uh, We were we are both uh, associate artists of an amazing theater company and we had monthly meetings and we got to share and show up each time. And so over that course, uh, Meredith was like, you know what? I'm thinking Betty. And so she kind of made an ask of me. And um, I can tell you from my perspective, an accountability partner is helpful if there's something specific that you want someone to hold you accountable for. And so I have had different kinds of accountability partners. For example, um, I, there was a period of time when I wasn't exercising properly. It, Meredith was a part of that as well. And I was like, you know what? If I have to tell someone that I'm not doing it, I'm probably going to change my behaviors um, because the people pleaser in me is not going to want to show up week after week saying, and I didn't do it again so that was a specific area that i was like hey i'd love for you to hold me accountable my my goal is to do x and at the end of the week i want to be able to tell you i did accomplish that goal or i didn't and so it could be something as simple as that it could also be um you know on the emotional plane there's a person who drives me crazy and my goal this week is to not snap back on them the way i have in the past so i want you to keep me accountable um so it's come up with your own particular goal i think it's really important that the goal is yours and yours alone it is personal it is something of meaning there's if it's not meaningful to you there's no reason to bring someone else into the mix. Um, And then you have to have respect and love for the accountability partner because you are going to share with them both your successes (laughs) and your failures. So you should have love and respect for that person because you're sending them a text or calling up and saying, yep, didn't do it. And so, um, and have a goal, know where kind of where you want to go. So um, those would be some of the things I would say, Meredith, what would you add to that in terms of accountability and accountability partners? 
I think you really hit the mark. I would say something that came up for me is having grace and compassion. There we go again. There's that word for your for yourself. And so if you don't accomplish your goal, it's okay, right? Because you learn a lot by just texting your accountability partner and saying, I didn't do the 10 push-ups. <laughs> you learn a lot about yourself in that moment. And then you just go, but there's an opportunity to still do 10 push-ups right now. Yes. And I I think I would add to that is choose someone who isn't going to make you feel bad when you tell them what happened, right? You want love and grace coming back at you from your accountability partner, which oddly enough, I know it sounds the opposite, but getting love and compassion back when you acknowledge failure actually motivated us to do more the next time around. So, um, but yeah, you can have an accountability partner for any number of things, exercise, how you treat people, um, self-care for those of you who are like, I never take care of myself, having an accountability partner who's gonna be checking on you once a week or once every two weeks saying, hey, you said you were gonna do something because you love you, what'd you do? How'd you love you this week? And I I love that you just said that too, Betty, because I do feel that in order to have an accountability partner, you have to be really clear, and you alluded to this, but be really clear that you are doing this because you love yourself first. I think that's like, you got to want to do it. You got to want to love yourself first. Agreed. Agreed. So yeah, so Joseph, it's a great question. I highly, highly encourage people to get accountability partners for particular areas in your life that you know, you simply will do it or accomplish more because you're holding yourself accountable in the eyes of someone else. that's just, there's some of us out there, like there's people out there who are like, you don't need other humans to do what you do. And that's great. And there are certainly spaces in my life where I operate. And there are spaces in my life where there are times when I go, you know what, I love me, but I tend to love other people more than me. So I put my stuff to the end of every list. And so by having an accountability partner, I now have to prioritize myself because I've engaged in this activity with my accountability partner. And that's really my biggest challenge, Joseph, that I will do anything for others. I can make time, I can make a 25th hour for someone else, but I can't squeeze 30 minutes in of physical activity because it only benefits me. Well, when I have an accountability partner who I'm gonna report to about the fact that I said I wasn't get 150 minutes in this week, then somehow I can magically carve out that 30 minutes for myself, whereas I couldn't before. But now, because someone else is gonna be like, did you do it? I can. So it's a weird mental thing, but it works for me and Meredith and perhaps for some of your listeners. Absolutely, thank you, thank you. And where can our listeners find you and connect with you? Um, you can find me on Instagram. I am at actor Betty. That is the easiest way to reach me. And you can always send me a message. And um, once a week, at least I check my my DMs. And uh, if you write something and you're not uh, being horrible or solicitous, I will respond. <laughs> That's the way it works. If you're just kind of reaching out, I will respond. Betty, so wonderful to connect with you. And we will we will connect soon offline. Yes, we off broadcast. (laughs) Thank you, Meredith. Thank you, Joseph. The pleasure of meeting you, sir, and um, getting to know both of you again. You have been listening to Are You Waiting for Permission? If you liked the show, please leave us a comment, leave us a review, tell a friend, spread the love. We would really appreciate it. We also want to give a special shout out, as always, to our favorite band, High Fiction. 
and thank Amy Shelley and Gary Grundy for letting us use their music on this podcast. All right, you can find us on Patreon. You can leave us the amount of a cup of coffee. That would sure help us out in our producing costs because we want to continue to serve you quality programming. All right, take care. Have a great one. See you next week. Thank you.